Hey friends, did you know that you can come hang out with me in real life? That's right. The Work In Podcast and Savage Grace Coaching makes its home in a boutique studio space called The Loft Yoga and Wellness in historic downtown Spring Valley, Ohio. This hidden gem of the Miami Valley is nestled in between Dayton, Columbus, and Cincinnati. As a part of my mission to bring a legacy of resilience through movement, each month you can join me for a hike on the bike trail, followed by a free trauma-informed vinyasa class back at the studio on Main Street. Go to savagegracecoaching.com to see the calendar and join my newsletter, A Yoga Life on Main Street, to stay up to date on all the latest studio news, events, and gossip. And now... On to this week's episode. Even if you never get off those meds, moving more, getting physically stronger will make your body healthier from your smallest cells to your biggest muscles. These things are true even if you never drop a pound of weight. Welcome to The Work In, your guide to natural ways out of stress, tension, and trauma. My name is Erica Thomas. I'm a certified trauma release exercise provider, health coach, and yoga instructor. And I'm fusing my 20 plus years of experience to bring you a new perspective on health and wellness. I believe that true health and healing begins and ends with the nervous system. And that means for most of us, we need to reintroduce those connections. The great news is that we can. And that's what the work in is all about. Throughout this podcast, you'll find tools, resources, practices, people, and perspectives that will help you add to your own resilience arsenal and shake off the effects of all sources of chronic physical, mental, and emotional stress. My intention is solely to bring you information and empower you with permission to stop working out and start working in. The Work In is brought to you by Kinetic Grace Resilience. Kinetic Grace is an online program designed to teach safe self-regulation of the stress response through the body using trauma release exercise, guided body awareness, and the breath. The program includes private instruction, exclusive access to certified providers, and 30 days of group classes. And because it's online, Kinetic Grace is available anywhere you are. Enrollment is open now. Visit ElementalKinetics.com to learn more. Welcome back to The Work In, everyone. We've spent the last couple episodes talking about movement, in particular yoga, and how it works to affect our stress response and how we can sneak more of it into our day to get all the health benefits of a more active lifestyle. What you'll find throughout this podcast are ways to improve overall health and well-being in three basic categories, physical, mental, and emotional, and how those three things connect with the health of our nervous system and stress response. Now, that seems like such a simple thing to do, and maybe it would be if it weren't for the fact that no one really knows what being healthy really means. 
If we did, perhaps there wouldn't be an epidemic of obesity and diabetes in this country. We wouldn't have the rising numbers of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and cardiovascular disease that we have today, despite the latest, greatest health recommendations of our government agencies. So today, I want to raise the question, what is healthy? What does it mean to you to be healthy? What is health in general and how do we get it and how do we keep it long-term? One of the ways we're asked to evaluate our own health is by following government guidelines, specifically the USDA and HHS 2020 Dietary Guidelines for Healthy Americans. In the U.S., we only review those guidelines every five years. And a lot can happen in five years. A lot can change in the scientific landscape. And a lot can kind of get swept under the rug as well. As generalized and dumbed down as they have tried to make it, our most recent guidelines for health are still 130 pages long without the appendices. In case you didn't know or never knew, or maybe you've forgotten, the Dietary Guidelines for Americans is a document that's written by the USDA and HHS that has been reviewed by the scientific community and recommends how and what to eat to prevent chronic disease. It includes general recommendations for how much exercise generally healthy people should get to stay quote-unquote healthy. Now, despite what I'm sure are their best intentions, according to the USDA's own statistics, 75% of Americans don't follow the DGA. One might think, based on that statistic, that a majority of Americans simply have no understanding about what health is or they're just choosing not to make those healthy choices. Statistics are tricky, though, because I have to say that I don't follow the DGA either, and I consider myself to be a healthy individual. However, in order to stay within my scope as a coach, I'm limited to sharing information that's being promoted by the government, And scope is one of the tragic problems with the dietary guidelines. Now, this subject for me is rife with rabbit holes and triggers to rant. So I'm going to apologize up front right now in case I go off the rails. I'm going to try really, really hard not to and stay really focused on this idea of what it means to be healthy and to make healthy choices for you as an individual. The dietary guidelines are designed to give guidelines to the general population. It assumes a healthy general population. Their scope is to make recommendations to healthy people to help prevent chronic diet-related diseases or lifestyle diseases. 
Except the problem here is that our general population in the United States is already ill. In fact, 74% of adults are either overweight or obese, and 6 out of 10 already has one or more chronic disease. So something doesn't really add up here. Since the first official DGA was released in 1980, and possibly back in the 50s, when the original recommendations for low-fat, high-carbohydrate diets were presented, we've been getting fatter, sicker, and less healthy. There's nothing wrong with the recommended guidelines for nutrition and exercise per se. When you read them, they seem like a no-brainer. In my personal opinion, they are so excruciatingly watered down and basically offer the minimum dose of nutrition and exercise in order to not offend anyone. In presenting the recommendations this way, the USDA and HHS limit their credibility If the purpose is to inspire the population to meaningful behavior change, that credibility really needs a little bit of work. Now, if you go to the show notes, you are going to find all of the links that you will need to explore the 2020 Dietary Guidelines And there's a lot of PDF infographics there to kind of help support that document, as well as a list of resources that I used to put together this podcast. So be sure that you check the show notes so that you can read those dietary guidelines for yourself and form your own opinions there. My point is simply that our current dietary guidelines are simply too general in scope, and that generality of scope is focused on a healthy general population that is now in the minority. So I'm not sure how it could be considered the general population if it is the minority. It's also a little frustrating to offer general guidelines to individuals because while they are putting out this information, relatively non-offensive dietary and exercise information, they're trying to make it blanket across everyone, but you and I are individuals and we read these recommendations as individuals and trying to pull things out for our own individual purposes. Now this latest iteration, they've included a PDF infographic that's entitled Customize the Dietary Guidelines, which seems like it would be a fantastic little bright spot Here's a way I can customize this for myself. But don't get excited. It's simply a two-page list of foods that fall under each category, which I suppose is helpful. But if I were going to pass advice on to clients, I would simply say, look for whole, clean foods. 
or anything that doesn't come in a package. Now, I don't care who you are, it is difficult to change a habit. Humans are contrary. I know because I am one. And especially contrary if you're asking them to do something uncomfortable. And changing what and how you eat and move is uncomfortable. Couple that with the fact that these recommendations are coming from a government with a serious case of do as I say, not as I do. And it's no wonder that the general population doesn't really care to make any serious changes. And why would they? On the one hand, the USDA is telling us to eat more vegetables and fruit. And on the other hand, it's subsidizing cheap corn, dairy, and sugar. Those subsidies go to make cheap food cheaper, but not whole, clean, healthy food any cheaper. It also doesn't improve government credibility when science changes, but recommendations don't. For example, let's look at the dietary cholesterol intake and low-fat diet recommendations that were finally removed in 2015. Before we understood the role of cholesterol in the body, which even today is a very rudimentary understanding, we were told in no uncertain terms that consuming foods high in cholesterol and full fat was bad and in fact could be fatal. So began the villainization of real butter, eggs, and full fat anything. And so what did we do as Americans in our quest for true health? We slathered our toast with margarine, suffered through egg white omelets, and replaced all the fat in everything with sugar. Not just sugar, but high fructose corn syrup. Gag. Only to learn after 40 years of being told that margarine was a healthy alternative. Oops, our bad. Trans fats actually increase cholesterol levels. And now, because we've hidden processed sugar in everything, welcome to the world of obesity and type 2 diabetes. The science of nutrition in the human body is always changing. It is complex. Science and biology in general is complex. Part of what makes it science and not religion is that you can challenge it and it will either stand up to that challenge or it won't. But if it doesn't, Rather than quietly sweeping it under the rug, maybe we need to be shouting it from the rooftops instead of pussyfooting around big food and big pharma executives. We are, after all, talking about people's lives. But it's okay, right? Because we have the best healthcare system in the world. We should be the healthiest. Our medicine borders on the miraculous. There's almost nothing that can't be poisoned out of your body in some way. Wait, wait, no, that's not right. Medicine can help you survive. It can save your life. But it can't make you healthy. 
Only you can make the kind of choices that will do that. Now, before you all fly off the handle, let me explain that I am not talking about communicable diseases. I'm not talking about infections or acute trauma to the body. I'm talking about chronic, non-communicable lifestyle disease. Don't get me wrong. The medical community tries. That's where statins and beta blockers, maybe metformin, even Prozac and Xanax come in. So many options for better living through pharmaceuticals. So let's ask the question again. What is healthy? We have a list of biomarkers that we can use to make that assessment. Things that are testable. Blood pressure, glucose, cholesterol. Those are the basic ones most of us know, right? And then we get more guidelines and advice for healthy ranges for each of those testable, trackable things. Not optimal ranges, because no one actually knows what an individual's optimal range is, but ranges that may seem a little arbitrary when they move the bar every once in a while. Like what they've done with cholesterol levels. Like what they did a few years ago with blood pressure. But that's another rabbit hole, so I'm going to step to the side here. So let's say you were an otherwise healthy adult. In other words, they haven't found anything wrong with you yet. And you visit the doctor and they diagnose you with high blood pressure. Doctor says you can either exercise more and eat better or take this pill every day for the rest of your life. You take the pill because the other thing sounds hard. Now your blood pressure falls within the normal range. I'm going to ask this question again. Are you healthy? Will you get healthier? No, no. Take your time. I'll wait. I have another question for you. How sick and tired do you have to get for enough to be enough. No one lives forever, but what kind of life do you want? Even if you never get off your medications, eating better will make it easier for your body to keep you alive. Even if you never get off those meds, moving more Getting physically stronger will make your body healthier from your smallest cells to your biggest muscles. These things are true even if you never drop a pound of weight. And both movement and nutrition improve sleep. And together, they can lift the burden on your nervous system at its most primitive level. The fact is that there's no step toward health that goes unnoticed by the body. It all counts. If you want to get healthier, you have to do something healthier. 
even something small. Drinking an extra glass of water, walking to the end of your driveway, anything. But do it every day until it's easy and then add something new, an extra vegetable. Replace the chips with fruit. I know people who have dropped their triglycerides from over 400 down to 50 with a diet alone in six weeks. It can be done. You have to want to do it. There is as much science behind that as there is behind FDA drug approval without all the scary side effects. So let's talk about side effects. Let's compare the side effects of nutrition and exercise versus high blood pressure medications. Now, blood pressure medications, if you don't know, come in lots of different flavors. So without going too far into the weeds here, we're just going to pick one kind and go from there. Let's just talk about beta blockers. Some of the side effects of beta blockers are a higher risk of blood sugar changes leading to type 2 diabetes. Weakness, leg cramps, fatigue, and all of that is related to changing potassium levels, asthma symptoms, cold hands and feet, depression, erection problems in men, and insomnia and sleep problems, and I'm sure the list goes longer. Now, Let's look at side effects of good nutrition and exercise. Lower risk of type 2 diabetes, stronger muscles and bones, weight loss and maintaining a healthy weight, improved blood pressure and cholesterol numbers, improved state of well-being, lower risk of depression, lower risk of anxiety, improved sleep patterns, improved cognition, improved mobility, improved gut health, It really isn't rocket science. You don't need an MD, but you do need a reason that outweighs all of the excuses. What's yours going to be? Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard and you want to learn more about how you can get extra movement and nutrition easily throughout your day, head to elementalkinetics.com forward slash snack time or free resources and download whatever resonates with you to get started on your own work in. See you next time, everyone.